morning. Good morning, Linworth. All right. Okay, as Nick said, yep, this is our last week in uh, Brave New World. And uh, let me introduce it by saying that in, uh, if you read the novel, the citizens in a futuristic London are constantly on the move. Life is one frenzied, fluid motion without break. From one activity to another, from one sensual experience to another. They rarely, if ever, think about the true meaning of their lives. They've been conditioned to think that way. All the old books have been done away with. Real emotion and ideals have been purged. Master controllers perpetuate this lifestyle by facilitating easy pleasures and crass commercialism. Huxley's dystopia, written 87 years ago, friends, is flat out unnerving. It so mirrors modern America. Ask someone how they are doing, and how often do you hear the words, I am so busy. I feel overwhelmed. I never have time to stop and think. Busy has become our new favorite self-descriptor. This makes my wife chuckle. Her very sweet, very precious 88-year-old mother, whose only real task every day is to make sure she gets enough calories to eat. She complains to my wife of being too busy. Kevin DeYoung, in his book called Crazy Busy, told the story of a woman from a different culture who came to the United States and began to introduce, introduce herself as busy. It was, after all, the first thing she heard when meeting any American. Hello, I'm busy. And she figured it was part of our traditional greeting. Some recent research has revealed that being busy has actually become something of a status symbol. A recent article from the New York Times quoted this, quoted in The Guardian. When people aren't super busy at work, they are crazy busy exercising, entertaining, or taking their kids to Chinese lessons. Or maybe they're insanely busy playing fantasy football. Hey, that's a little too close now. tracing their genealogy or churning their own butter. And if there is ever still a moment for reflective thought, out comes the mobile device. Why are we so busy? Why are we so busy? What is the impact on our lives of our busyness, and how can we change? Those are the three things this morning that I'd like us to look at. And please keep in mind this morning that there is a wrong kind of busy and there is a right kind of busy. I'm going to spend the first half of the message diagnosing a wrong kind of busy and then in the second half I'm going to look at a right kind of busy. I, I know this really impacts all of us so let's take a moment and pray because I really want you to be able to receive from God this morning what he wants you to hear. I, I really believe it could be um, tremendously life-changing for you. Let's, let's pray. 
Father, um, thank you that it is your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us that reveals to us how you love us as a Father. And I pray that each of us this morning, what we would experience, one thing we would experience, is that revelation of how much you love us as a Father. I know, Lord, that some of us here, um, our dads didn't love us in a way that um, we needed. And I know that that could trip some of us up when we think about our love from you. And I do pray, Father, that you'd help any of my friends that stumble at that place and they would see that even their own dad's imperfections perhaps reflect on your perfections. They magnify your perfections, how incredibly wonderful you are. And I, I pray, God, we are a busy, stressed out, anxious group of people, and we live in this culture. And I know, Father, that just because we're Christians, it's not like we get some pass out of it. And I believe that we each have something to learn and gain and grow in this morning, myself included, myself first. So I pray that you might remove whatever would hinder us this morning, Father, from receiving and picking up the lessons that are the lesson that each of us needs. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let me give you four reasons why we're so busy, all right? Here's number one. Cultural changes have made us busy. There have been significant cultural changes in the world that we live in. The world used to be a very simple place to live. Yes, it lacked modern conveniences. Yes, there was no modern air conditioning or no indoor plumbing. You had to walk more. You only had one place to shop, and you might only live to 55. But it was simple. I talked about this with my dad many years ago. And my dad told me that for the first 18 years, he rarely traveled outside of his own county. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is about 45 miles north to south and about 40 miles east to west. Today, teenagers regularly travel outside the country. Now, life did not give my dad very many choices or opportunities. Let me show you just a quick picture of him here. There he is. This is 1947. This is actually a wedding picture, and uh, they're still both alive. They celebrated their 70th or 71st first anniversary here in March. But for my dad, bearing only an eighth grade education, his vocational opportunities were limited. His prospective marriage partners were limited. In his world, related churches provided a network for their youth, and you were expected to marry from that group. Even his breakfast options were limited. He did not walk down the aisle of his local farmer's market and have to choose from 2,000 different choices of cold cereal. No, he had Kicks, Checks, Cheerios, and Raisin Bran. Not too many more. I did wonder how you survived without Captain Crunch. I just, that's, that's <laughs> biggie. Today we have so many more choices, and choices mean opportunities. Everywhere, opportunities abound. 
We can access information from anywhere. We can meet potential partners online. Competition and efficiency have kept prices down so that for many of us, we can basically buy whatever we need or in some cases even basically whatever we want. Historically compared to the past, we are so very much affluent. And DeYoung said it very simply, because we can do so much, we do do so much. Because we can do so much, we do do so much. Our life has no limits. Culturally, that's a big change from the past. And it's complicated, our lives. Second reason that we're busy. One is cultural changes. Two is the search for significance. DeYoung, in his research, found an article written in the New York Times by Tim Kreider that went viral. This insight will give you a reason why so many people read it. Kreider said this, Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. I love that phrase, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life can't possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked in demand every hour of the day. Is our busyness a hedge against emotions, against emptiness? You may sense the haunting fear of, what's it all about? Is my life amounting to anything? And then you smother those disturbing questions through non-stop activity. Our busyness may reflect that we are driven by a disordered heart, Desperately needing to please others or fulfill the expectations of others. Some of those expectations come from our culture and are intensified by the surround sound system of social media. Here is how one author from The Guardian put it regarding the expectations that come from our culture. Now keep in mind, of course, there are healthy and right expectations. We are talking here about expectations that create a mismatch of what one can actually manage to do. Here's what this author said. The problem, of course, is that we set those expectations as a culture, not only as individuals. You can't merely decide one morning to opt out of everything that's demanded of you as a woman, man, parent, or employee. Right? Right? It's true. But worse, the whole thing's rigged. The expectations keep getting bigger. Get on top of your email, and you'll find people send you more. (laughs) Figure out how to spend sufficient time with your kids and at work, and you suddenly feel some new social pressure to spend more time exercising, cultivating a hobby, or locating ethnically sourced vegetables. So, why are we so busy? Number one, cultural shifts. Number two, number two, um, the search for significance. Number three, why are we so busy? I must do it all. In respect to busyness, there are at least two kinds of people in the church. One group is disengaged, disinterested, and wasting their gifts and resources on things that will not last. If that's you, stop it. 
Stop it. <laughs> and start getting off your butt and start doing stuff. All right? But there's another group in the church, and it's many of you here in this room. You have a tender conscience. You feel the weight of guilt easier than others. No matter how much you do, you believe you can always do more. You hear a message and an appeal from a Christian speaker for the cause important to him, and you say, I must do that. You hear another appeal from a Christian speaker advancing the cause that is important to her, and you say, I must do that. You feel an obligation to do it all. You believe you can do it all. You set out to do it all. <laughs> and in the end, you can't. And you burn out. And the feeling of failure overwhelms you because your time is divided into minuscule pieces. There is hope, by the way, if this is you. There is hope. Over the years, I've seen so many, myself included, <laughs> put myself in this camp, learn to distinguish the voice and the leadings from God. And not just your favorite charismatic speaker, including me. You begin to recognize the Father heart of God, that he will, he will never give you more than you can manage. His will can be carried out in the normal rhythms of life. He can be absolutely delighted in you without constant 24-7 heroics. Now, sadly, I have seen folks without that self-awareness to see what's happening to them, or because they've had bad or improper teaching, that they quit under those crushing expectations that can never, they just quit they quit ministry, they quit being involved, they come to church, but they, inside they've quit because they believe those expectations can never be fulfilled. Others abandon the faith altogether, assuming this God cannot be pleased. Sometimes, friends, the compulsiveness towards absolute responsibility, total obligation, is because we may have a Messiah, a Messiah complex. We think we must be the Savior for others. We feel responsible to fix it all. It all hangs on us. We are indispensable. This, self, this sense of self-importance can make a person excessively busy. Okay? So... Why are we busy? Some of us think we must do it all. Here's the fourth thing, the last of our diagnosis. We want success at all costs. Why are we so busy? We want success at all costs. In the brave new world, a picture of success is conditioned into each of the genetically engineered castes. They are cast for each type of work. Each caste has a picture of success related to the roles that the Uber controllers have deemed necessary for the good of all. 
Now, in the real world, we don't have Uber controllers. I know, I've heard the claims that the Illuminati and the Senate Farm Relations Committee, that they're all controlling everything. I don't think Bill Gates and, and uh, Warren Buffett and the Rockefellers are hidden away in some bunker pulling all the levers, you know, you know, controlling elections and the United Nations or so forth. Now, the guy from Amazon? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Maybe he is. <laughs> now, I don't buy all that. But while we don't have a few people in our world, Uber controllers, making all the decisions, we do have a system driven by consumeristic greed. Now listen, friends, I believe in capitalism. But economic freedom without the underlying foundation of morality yields some ugly results. <laughs> we see it every day. The system relies on you buying more and more. And for you to buy more and more, a need, a need must be created. A vision of the good life. A vision of success is strategically laid out for you by our friendly advertisers and those who wish to profit from you. The result is, it creates what country music star Travis Meadows says so poetically, we all want what we ain't got. These expertly packaged symbols of success are what many of us are slaving away for. And whatever your treasure is, you will serve it. You will serve it, even if it takes you to unhealthy or to unwise places. This is where many Americans and many Christians, many of us, myself included, we have been influenced by our culture, and we just follow the cues blindly. Putting it bluntly, the sin of greed makes us too busy. So, let's review. In our diagnosis, we've given you four reasons why we are so busy. One, cultural changes. Two, the search for significance. Three, I must do it all. And four, we want success at all costs. Let's go on to the second question. What's the impact? What's the impact of our busyness? I'm not going to spend much time on this. I think most of us know the impact. Physically, the impact of stress we know is related to heart attacks, cancer, insomnia, anxiety, and many more. Emotionally, the loss of joy from our stress and the deadening, the numbness in our souls. Most of us, our emotional wells are running on fumes and we cannot tap into the necessary reservoirs in order to love others. Jesus said spiritually, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out God's word from penetrating into our hearts. Without his word making inroads into us, we feel disconnected. We feel distant from God. This is the result of busyness. Sadly, sadly, busyness keeps us from being, maybe this is the most sad thing, busyness keeps us from being present in the moment. 
present for one another. I shared this study on parenting a few years ago by researcher uh, Ellen Galinsky. It makes sense here in this context to remind you of it again. Kids were asked to, in this survey, kids were asked to grade their parents in a dozen areas. And overall, parents were right around a B. Pretty, pretty good. Parents, pretty good. Most parents got an A when it came to making their children feel important or attending their important events. The biggest weakness, according to the kids, was anger management. More than 40% of the kids gave their moms and dads C, D, or F for controlling their temper. The kids rarely wish for more time with their parents. They wish their parents were less tired and less stressed. Another author said that our kids suffer from secondhand stress. Interesting way of putting it. By trying to do so much for them, we can actually are making them less happy. Wow. Well, if that doesn't, for at least parents, give you motivation to change, the bottom line is most of us are pretty motivated to change in this area of busyness. How? How can we somehow find a way to be different from the culture around us? This morning, I want to share something that today is so revolutionary. And frankly, we've not talked about it very much. And so I'm really excited to spend the last 20 minutes here or so talking about how we can change. And here's the answer. By following the creation rhythm of work and rest. This is how we can change. To slow our lives down, we actually can get wisdom from the very beginning. A vision of human flourishing woven right into the creation of the world. Turn in the beginning of your Bibles. This will be easy to find. Turn to page 2 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. Let me read verse 31 and the first couple of verses of chapter 2. In the creation story at the end, God says this, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. This is God's word. Notice what God did. He worked, and then he looked back on his work and gained satisfaction, and then he rested from his work. A rhythm, a dance between work and rest. Rather than one unbroken, continuous flow of activity, the pattern God established was work, Take satisfaction from your work, then rest. Turn to Exodus. This is page 61. And in the midst of the Ten Commandments, beginning at verse 8, we have a commandment regarding the Sabbath day. 
Verse 8, Exodus 20, again, page 61. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work. You are your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant. Make sure your livestock doesn't work or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first outstanding thing that we see is that what God did in creation was not merely a description of His activity, but what? A model for us to follow. It was done for our sake. Now, listen, God did not rest because he was tired. He didn't get tired. God is not simply an oversized man, suggesting that when he was finished, he said something like, oh boy, all that creation work, throwing stars around the universe and digging up ocean floors and forming mountain ranges. Boy, those Himalayas were some work. I am whipped. I need to kick up my feet and take it easy. That's not God. But this pattern of work, reflect on my work, and rest was not only for God, but a pattern for you and for me. Now again, as I said, it's been a while since we've covered this. And I read several uh, sources on the Sabbath. And honestly, the best source I found was from our own Corey Bacher sitting here this morning. Corey's a member here. He teaches at a local Christian high school and really has a ministry to the city teaching the Bible, and um, especially the Old Testament. I'd highly recommend any of the classes that Corey teaches here. And I think that we need a little bit more background on this thing called the Sabbath. Now, perhaps some of you this morning here, you've never heard of the Sabbath, Maybe some of you have. For those of you under 40, or maybe even under 50, you don't remember something called blue laws. I was born in 1960, and they were still firmly in place in the years that I grew up. Basically, the entire country shut down on Sunday so the entire country could go to church. If you needed gas, if you needed milk, or needed diapers for your baby, you better buy them Saturday night. And actually, you better buy them by about 6 p.m. So the idea of a Sabbath rest has a deep history in Western culture. And actually, if I understood this correctly, I learned that even in Germany, to this day, most shops and stores in Germany are closed on Sundays. Now, the command here, as Corey says, is to remember the Sabbath day in order to keep it holy. It communicates the idea that remembering to rest results. Remembering to rest, remembering to rest results in this day being set apart. That's what holy means. It's set apart. It's no ordinary day, but belongs to the Lord. For the Israelites, after hundreds of years of slavery, it was great getting a day off. Yet, it would have been a test of faith as well. There was no Kroger's down the street then. Your family depended on you working. 
and a day off from the field or a day off from tending the livestock, that required some faith. That required some trust. But what about the command not to work? What is work? And again, here, Corey shares something I've not seen that really anybody else has communicated. And that is that all actions are technically work. <laughs> you think about it. Every action is technically work. So how far do you take this command not to work? The priest had to prepare for worship. Your pastors have to work on Sunday. It's okay. <laughs> if you were going to eat that day, Somebody had to work, right? Your animals had to be fed. I know in our house, when our animals are not fed, I know what happens. It's not pretty. There is no expectation of fasting through the Sabbath. Every family thus, every family and local community would have had to work through what this commandment said in order to get after the Spirit of the command. When we get to the New Testament, these are the very questions the Pharisees vigorously debated. Based on Jesus' response to them, which to the Pharisees seemed irreverent and subversive, it is clear their interpretation missed the mark. The Pharisees extrapolated exactly what is work and what is not work to the minutest detail and demanded others to apply their interpretation. That is exactly the kind of thinking that Jesus condemned. Sabbath is not just about the absence of work. And it is not just about physical rest since God did not actually need physical rest. So what is it about? Looking at how the Sabbath is used throughout the Old Testament, the focus is on not legalistically abstaining from work, but rather on setting aside dedicated time to remember the Lord. To remember the Lord. To rest relationally in the fullness of his character, the promise of his covenant love, this everlasting, unconditional love to find rest in that. To remember God is to remember who I am, his son or his daughter. To remember that I'm a part of a spiritual community. I am a part of a redeemed humanity. Mark 2.27 here, bringing it up to Jesus. Jesus said this about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This saying from Jesus is tied to one of those stories that got him in so much trouble. But the lesson is clear. Sabbath rest was not about loading people down with excessive rules, thus elevating rule-making to be the sole focus, but rather Sabbath was a rest, a gift from God to us, meant to improve our relationship with Him. 
Why? Why? Why did God give us this gift of the Sabbath? And here, Corey, I'm just going to quote you directly if I can. I cannot say it any better than this. Why? Because the Lord knew our default. He knew we would seek to find our identity, our satisfaction in something other than him. And that something is usually our accomplishments. Find our identity. We find our satisfaction in our accomplishments. Whether it's an Israelite in the field trying to keep his family from starving or a Westerner in a corporation trying to build a bank account and a solid retirement fund, our significance is found in our ability to provide, create, build, and amass wealth. We need rest from trying to prove ourselves to gain satisfaction or significance. True rest is not physical rest, but a spiritual rest. It is the ability to look at our work and our accomplishments and call them good in the same way Yahweh, the Lord's name, in the same way Yahweh did with his creation when he rested. But the only way we can do this is to live one's life for Yahweh and know that he is working through our lives and our accomplishments. Corey goes on. People need a deep soul rest in which they come spiritually to the living God of the universe and rest in his acceptance of them. If you do not get spiritual rest, you will always be tired. <laughs> That's really pithy. It's really good. If you do not get spiritual rest, then you will always be tired. Mere physical rest, days off work, vacations, and merely attending church without any connection to God cannot provide this. Many people do this but are not rested afterwards because they are constantly thinking about what they must accomplish. They are stressed and are discontent with where they are and what they have done. They are trying to know, they're trying to know who they are and trying to show everyone they are someone important. This is all about trying to live up to the standards one has created for yourself. Close quote. That's just so good. That is such a needed message for our day, isn't it? That is such a needed message for our day. You see, Sabbath rest ceases from that kind of work, and it abandons it. It forsakes that kind of work. In Sabbath rest, you remember how much Christ loves you and what he accomplished for you on the cross. When we step away from our constant striving, even though our work is unfinished, our goals undone, our agenda incomplete, it is an act of faith. We are stopping to say, Father, your accomplishments are enough for me. Your acceptance is all I need. Now, this might cost you, friends, to do this, to practice the Sabbath rest. To practice Sabbath rest might cost you something. It's not easy. It might cost you in the eyes of the world or your peers or your parents. 
It means you may not be as successful. Remember, I called this message Brave New Success. Success redefined is no longer the pursuit of mythical symbols of success, which are like moving goalposts, by the way. Success is realized in Christ. Success is already yours in Christ. Resting in what God has already done. No longer do you need to hedge against emptiness. No longer do you need to drive yourself on caffeine and power drinks and too little sleep. I can sleep because the world does not need me as much as I thought it did. No longer do I need to fly past the most important people in my life with a heart not emotionally present nor accessible. No longer do I need to be numbed out, emotionally dead, stressed, and broken. Maybe I won't accomplish as much. But you know what? I can still take satisfaction in the things that I do and the things that God accomplishes through me. You see, I can work for the glory of God every day as a teacher, a nurse, an IT supervisor, an office manager, and I can take satisfaction in it because my work, done in the rhythm of work and rest, glorifies God. I can be present for those that need me the most. This is brave new success. Your friends might not understand it. Your boss may push back, but the relational results will speak for themselves. You will find yourself working in the right kind of busy. Yes, people who love, people who love others, people who are committed to others are busy. So if you're hearing me this morning saying, man, I'm, I'm going to live a life, I'm not going to be busy anymore. It's not really what I'm saying. But people who follow the creation rhythm of work and rest, they are busy about the right things. A lot of us, when we say we're so stressed, we're so busy, that's how we define ourselves. That's how we self-describe ourselves. What we're really saying is we don't believe we're busy with the right things. When a person is busy with the right things, you know what you got there? You got a really happy person. When they can integrate their activities into their overall scope of their life mission and life goal, you got a very fulfilled, happy person. They might be busy. They might have a demanding schedule. But they're going to be happy. Because they can integrate the activities of their lives into an overarching life purpose which they believe and know by faith is honoring to God. And that makes them really, really fulfilled and really, really happy. It's when you're busy doing all the wrong things that you feel stressed and discontented and without purpose. You see the difference here? I really want you to see, I hope that you see this distinction. Do you know who probably the busiest person in the world was in history? You know who was really busy? You know who had tremendous demands on their life? 
but was never hurried, was never rushed, was always emotionally present for others? Jesus. Jesus was incredibly busy. Sabbath rest, when you begin to practice Sabbath rest, you will touch everything that impels unhealthy busyness. Go back to those four factors and you can, you can, you can connect the dots. When you begin to experience Sabbath rest, you will touch all four of those reasons that we're so doggone busy. Practically, Here's what I'm trying to say. Give yourself some time every week to close the loop. Give yourself some time every week to close the loop. Reviewing your work, gaining satisfaction in it, seeing how it fits, how it fits into God's plan for your life. That's number one. Engage in that rhythm. Number two, set your heart to participate weekly in worship. Now again, as Corey said, just attending church will not do it if you do not, if you're not coming to church for the purpose of remembering. <laughs> you know, it's really the main reason that we meet. The main reason that we meet is to remember who we are, to remember his covenant love for us. That's why we gather weekly, and the idea of a weekly worship connecting point and experience is to bring you back to the spiritual truths that anchor your soul. To remind you of your identity. To allow eternity to press again into your heart in order to point it true north. Third, and this might seem a little random, but I want to share it. Third, actually it's going to feel really random, <laughs> but I just thought I should share it. Third, throughout the year, make time. When you hear of the opportunity to attend a spiritual camp or a spiritual retreat or a conference, you know, that pattern actually goes back to the Old Testament where many times God would gather the people. He'd gather them, and they would dedicate a set period of time to the Lord. We have seen over the years that this practice is a vital practice to keeping alive our spiritual health and life. To take 24 hours, to take 48 hours, to take three or four days, to get your kids to experiences like this, where they can dedicate time to knowing God without the normal distractions of life. This is a kind of way of, in a sense, again, if you remember the Lord, is a kind of Sabbath experience. And FYI, we have one called Faith Walkers at the end of the year. A retreat that we do in uh, North Carolina with related churches. And think about attending that three or four day experience. Dedicated time. Dedicated heart. Dedicated experience of God and his people and his word. Lastly, let me close on a kind of a sad story, but one that I just hope will inspire you. Hope will inspire you. Did you like Robin Williams? Wasn't he great? Made us laugh. Made us cry. I mean, what, a, what an amazing individual. What an amazing talent Robin Williams was. Uh, a man named David Itzkoff wrote a biography of Robin Williams. We all grieve his loss. 
but it's called Trace the Months, but it's, his life is also a warning to us. The way that his life ended is a warning to us. It's called Trace the Months Before His Death. Williams was deeply struggling both personally and professionally. A sitcom was not making it. He was taking some pretty serious professional blows. And personally, he was struggling with guilt over a divorce. He was struggling over adjusting to life with his new wife. And Iskoff showed that how Williams tried to find solace and significance by burying himself in his work. His makeup artist said that Williams operated on working. It was a true love of his life, above his children, above everything. But work and busyness did not heal the deepest wounds of his soul. Only the gospel of Jesus, only the person of Jesus can heal the deepest wounds of our soul. That story does not have to be ours. Let's do what God said. Let's enter into Sabbath rest. Pray with me. Father, your experience of your people, you tell us, is a demonstration of power. There's power in your words. There's power to heal. There's power to convince of a need of change. There's power to bring soul, deep repentance in our hearts, the confession of wrong paths and wrong thinking. We pray that as we sing, as we give our offering, we would not leave this moment, but we'd enter even more deeply into this moment. We'd press into, Father, what you're trying to say to us in this culture, in our day, to this church about our perpetual motion without entering into the Sabbath rest. Again, we remember, Father, the words of Jesus. Sabbath was made for man. It is a gift from you. Father, let us receive that gift this morning. For those, Father, who are with us this morning, I'm so glad they're here, that are not yet into a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this morning you'd help them to understand what it would look like to receive Jesus, to receive this Sabbath rest, to stop striving, stop working, trying to justify themselves, but to receive the acceptance that you offer unconditionally. All you ask, ask is that we come as we are, just as we are, broken, bloodied, stressed, bruised up by this world, admitting our need for you and saying that, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. I want to stop living for myself, stop pursuing the mythical symbols of success and begin following you. Will you help that person this morning, Father, to make that decision and 
enter into something that they never dreamed could be. Continue to lead us, Father, as we respond now to your words. You have, given, you have brought your word to us today, Holy Spirit. Now, help us to pray and to sing, to give in a way that responds to your initiative in our lives.